Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 532 with Vitaly Paley. Yeah, definitely that ambition was there. But the biggest ambition was is we want a place where we can spread our wings a little bit. We want a place where we can be closer to the source of the ingredients. We wanted to be part of the community. We wanted to start something small, something that it also didn't cost a bundle because we didn't have much. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. You got to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system. Wisetail is a forward-thinking training and communication platform built to engage today's workforce. Wisetail is trusted because it grew up alongside some of the most recognized restaurants in the industry. This has helped them shape their product and its functionality through real-world feedback and rigorous testing. Wisetail can help you scale your training initiatives across all locations while empowering your employees to take control of their learning and their professional growth. To learn more, head over to www.wisetail.com unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. And if you use my links, you'll get your first three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable. Wouldn't it be great if you could play music directly from your Spotify account in your own restaurant without worrying about being pinched by the music police? Well, guess what? With Soundtrack, your brand, you can. Unlike Spotify Premium, YouTube, or Apple Music, Soundtrack, your brand is licensed for business use. And with SoundtrackYourBrand.com, you can import your favorite music from Spotify and share them directly with your guests. This deal typically goes for $26.99, but if you act now, you can get this deal for $19.99 per month per location for life. Get on it. Again, that's SoundtrackYourBrand.com or find the banner in the show notes. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Vitaly Paley. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today? <laughs> Maybe a little bit later in the day I'll feel unstoppable. I'm still on my coffee. You're working on that cup. coffee. I'm working so. on that coffee. It's going gonna, it's gonna to help. I know it's going to help. All right, I'll take that. Uh, Chef Vitaly Paley hails from Belarus, the former Soviet Union. In the 1970s, Paley immigrated to the United States to pursue a career as a concert pianist. After a life of training, piano and many years at Juilliard studying piano, Paley traded his piano keys for a chef knife. Paley would go on to study at the French Culinary Institute in New York, work at some of New York's finest restaurants, and apprentice in France. In 1994, Paley made the move to Portland, Oregon to take advantage of the region's bountiful produce. By 1995, he opened his first restaurant, Paley's Place. Over the next 10 years, his hard work would earn him the prestigious James Beard Best Chef Northwest. Today, Chef Paley is respected, is a respected cookbook author and owner of four restaurants, Paley's Place, Imperial, Headwaters, and The Crown. Obviously, we're just scraping the surface. I can't wait to dive into your story and learn more about you and how you got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational, inspirational, ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Oh, my goodness. That was a mouthful, and I am, <laughs> and I am waiting to hear more and uh, commenting on mantra of the day. For me, it's, it's enjoy the moment uh, when you're behind that stove. 
uh, nothing is more important. If that's the dream you've been wanting, then that's the dream you're leaving that moment. So don't you know, forget it. It's so important to just remember why we do what we do. Yeah. And I think sometimes in the the hustle of it all, in the just the, the strive of every day, that we get lost in the monotony, right? And we forget what it is that we got into this industry for. And when we lose sight of that why, it's like you know, it can really. Uh, it can really wear on you. So just go a little deeper in why it's so important just to to enjoy the moment. I just think the uh, you're you're only good at something if you really love what you do, mm. and and it can't it can't become routine. Uh, all of us go into work on a daily basis, and it just. It just takes over sometimes. Sometimes you don't know what to expect. Sometimes you go in with one plan and unexpected stuff happens and you just got to roll with it. And, uh, and, and the enjoyment and the excitement of every day being different, even though you are working in the same place, uh, doing the same thing. Awesome. I love it. Uh, great way to get this thing started. So let's go back uh, to where it all started for you. Um, I'm assuming it's around the time you, Im- after you've immigrated to the United States, um, is when you made the decision to commit your life to food and beverage, but was there a moment that you can reflect on where you're like, this is my jam, like this is my path, this is what I want to do? Can you bring us to that moment? Sure. So the as we immigrated with our family here... How old uh, were you when you came over? I was 13. Okay. I was 13. I celebrated my 14th birthday literally a month and a half after... Actually, 15 days after I came to this country, I celebrated my 14th birthday. So we came out here on March 15th. My birthday is April 1st. Okay. And and so I became 14 here in this country. And uh, I remember that day. That was an amazing day for me, uh, spending time with the family that I haven't seen in many years who have lived in this country for quite some time. Um, and then things just kind of started rolling uphill for me at that point. Uh, both my mom and I were musicians. She was my first teacher. Uh, she stopped me for many, many years. Um, in Russia. Then when we came here, uh, after a couple of years of going to a different school, I ended up in Juilliard, spent five years there in the prep division. Then after that, entered college and then spent two more years in college. So as you can see, my life path was decided for me yeah. a long time ago. And as you're maturing and as you're, uh, you know, you, you, you begin to wonder what else is there? Yeah. You know, is, is there all there is, this music thing that I've yeah. been preparing myself for the rest of the rest of my life and so it only makes sense for me to take a little bit of time off and uh, really just make sure that this is what I was going to be doing for the rest of my life and sure enough if you uh, you know you leave you leave the music uh, the inevitable path sometimes is you end up in the restaurant biz you know you you, you get a you get a server's gig in New York City and and all of a sudden the life of a solitary musician who spent most of his days at home practicing for that one concert that sometimes came uh, once or twice a year. So I'm kind of, sorry, I don't mean to cut you No, no, it's okay, it's all right. One of the things that's going through my mind as an immigrant, uh, you have a family that has this new opportunity, right? And I feel like it's something that's common with uh, children of immigrants that they their parents put their kids on a path, a path to success because they had this great opportunity, the opportunities they didn't have, right? Um, did were your parents okay with you getting out of, I mean, they invested some money in you. They, they had this path for you. You said, this isn't my path. What was that like breaking from the path that your parents had planned for you? I, I just, I just think when your parents truly love you, they want what's best for you. Yeah. So if you're, if you choose yourself uh, a certain path in life and it, and it happens to be different from what um, the initial path was, it's okay as long yeah. as you enjoy what you do. And, and, and frankly, I never, I didn't walk away knowing that I won't come back. 
that was never an intention. The intention was just to spend a little bit of time doing something else. Yeah. And and as I did that, I ended up in the restaurant business. And as I said, it was the life of a solitary musician spending most of your days practicing solo with a, with a teacher and a solo at the piano. And all of a sudden, you're uh, socializing. You're with people. You're with you're you're having new friends. Uh, you've got customers and people that are all of a sudden all the way around you. And and it was it was different. It was very different. Uh, the jobs that I've had were not very glamorous in the beginning. What was uh, your first job in the restaurant industry? I, server? I worked as a server at a place called Leo Lindy's in New York City, and I had a graveyard shift, and it wasn't very pleasant. I have to tell you. <laughs> well, eventually, there was something about the industry that drew you in. So, uh, I mean, first, what were the unpleasancies or the unpleasantries? Well, you know, when you work at night, uh, yeah, you, you kind of deal with all kinds of people. Yeah. And, and, and the occasional uh, club goer, or uh, as the clubs emptied, you yeah. ended up getting all those drunk people. That's and a, they all that's wanted a fun, a, That's a fun clientele. And they right all there. wanted a cheesecake. <laughs> <and> the, <laughs> so what was it eventually that drew you in that, that you fell in love with the industry? Because eventually there was something that you, you found that did resonate with you. What was that? What was it? After changing a couple of jobs, I ended up at this one place called World Yacht Cruises in New York City, and uh, that's where uh, it was. It was kind of a game changer for me. Okay. Uh, I ended up uh, working with an amazingly talented and motivated and ambitious group of people um, who were really serious about the craft, the profession. All of it was front of the house. We're all still servers and managers and bartenders. High energy place. Lots of fun uh, food. Lots of fun events. We did high-end weddings for celebrity people and when you get exposed to all that excitement it was it was just hard to do anything else at the moment and then of course as you become more involved in it you meet more people you hang out with them after work you hang out with them before work uh, you work hard during the shift uh, I met my wife at this place Kimberly and I have known each other at this point, we'll celebrate our 30th year, uh, coming wow. up in December, being married. Um, and when we met initially, it was I was a captain on the floor, and she was a, a server, and we worked on the same team together. How long were you at this location? About six years. So I want to hover here a little bit, because I feel like this uh, was kind of a pivotal point for you in your career, where you really fell in love with it. And it seems like one of the... the big variables about this location was the culture that was there, the, the dedication to excellence. So really dive into how this culture was established from your perspective. Where did this culture come from and, and how can we recreate this culture in our own businesses? Well, there was, I, I got to attribute it to many different things, but one of the biggest influences was this gentleman, uh, his name is, um, his name was, unfortunately, he passed away not too long ago. Um, oh, bummer. Mark Abrams, okay, uh, a wonderful gentleman who was not unlike me, a career changer. It mm. uh, was studying to be a dentist, and in his last semester, decided that that wasn't for him. And so he and his family were always in the in the restaurant business, and so he reverted back to the restaurant business. But his dedication to excellence, uncompromising level of uh, service that he provided and taught people the mentorship that he provided to me I still remember those days what would Mark Abrams do mm. and that's the question we constantly ask ourselves even till this day how would he react what would his reaction be to a certain situation how would he treat people how would he 
treat customers. How would he treat people? Uh, utmost respect, attention to detail like no other, never missed a thing, saw everything. He was a hard individual. He was hard on you, mm. but it was one of those uncompromising things about him that you love the most. Yeah. Is that he had the best intentions in mind and he never looked down to. He always mentored, he always taught, and he always taught you to be better. Mm. You know, I love what you're saying right now because it reinforces something that I echo constantly, which is behind every great restaurant is a great person. And if you want a great restaurant, you got to focus on yourself first, those disciplines, those habits, those those things, because your business is going to be an extension of who you are. Uh, do you want to reflect on that? I, I just think he was, he himself, even though it was a fairly large business, uh, we had several boats that would go out around the river, around the city for for. Dinner cruises, lunch cruises, weddings—you name it. It was—it was a—it was, was a fun place. But he was really the only pillar in my mind that really kept that place together, and all the front of house staff really looked up to him, mm. um, me included. So, how old were you after six years here? Uh, so let's see. I started there when I was about nineteen, twenty. Okay, so like twenty-five years old. So I was twenty-five years old uh, when I left. Was probably about twenty-five, twenty-five. Why 26. did you leave? Many things changed, and through the process of staying there and meeting Kimberly, meeting my wife, and, and knowing people, and eventually the process of um, elimination, like, okay, what, what's my next step in life? Uh, both her and I agreed that uh, restaurant biz is it for us. Mm. So once we learned that this is not just a stopover, this is not just an interim thing, we're actually gonna do this for the rest of our lives. Why, why, why do it for the rest of your life? What was it that you loved so much about this industry? Um, it's not just the industry, it, it was also had, had a lot to do with my wife, had a lot mm -hmm. to do with Kimberly. Both of us wanted to do something together, mm -hmm. something that we were passionate about, excited about, knew very well, um, so then, as we saying, how we're gonna spend the life of our, the rest of our life together, it just seemed only natural for us to step into the restaurant biz on a bigger scale. Mm -hmm. And that's when I decided to leave to go to French Culinary Institute. Okay. So uh, how many years were you at the French Culinary Institute? Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a short program. It's only six months. Okay. Um, I you know, spent a little bit of time in college already. Didn't want to spend a whole bunch. But I really needed to learn the basic skills to understand what it's like to be in the kitchen. It wasn't intended. I was not intended uh, to, to go there to learn how to cook so I can become a cook. I actually wanted to know more about yeah. the business in Which general. Which is so smart, yeah. And and that's when uh, we decided, after I, after leaving there, I said, well, I kind of only learn what I don't know. So I'm going to go in the kitchens and spend more time there. And that's when I ended up at, at Union Square Cafe in New York. So let's, what did you mean by you only learned what you didn't know? You can only learn so much in six months. Yeah, and the other thing too, a lot of people say that they go to culinary school, they spend two years, six months, whatever the program is, and they just realize what they don't know. And you don't really learn until you get into the field and you start learning from these mentors, these people that have done it for their lives. You scratch the surface. Mm -hmm. You really do. You, 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 you get exposed to everything you need to get exposed. But even though you spent a one week learning how to cook potatoes <laughs> many different ways, it's still only one week. Yeah. And what you retain is nothing. Yeah, it's a brain dump onto the next yeah, thing. Exactly, yeah. right. Yeah. So so then you gotta go and you gotta go, okay, where can I spend more time learning how to cook potatoes, how to learn how to butcher a chicken, learn how to do the best piece of salmon cooked a certain way and 
learn all these not just French techniques but just techniques of cooking in general mm -hmm. and, and how does it actually work what's the application in a real life kitchen situation yeah. it's one way you cook at home for your friends and family but it's another way you, you're online same day every day same food 365 days out of the year for 300 people a day how does that translate that's a different tactic that's a different skill set you have to be able to learn how to do that yeah and one thing i love about your path um you, you went to go work for the best right out of culinary mm -hmm. school union square hospitality i mean we're talking mid mid 80s now yeah so this was let's see mid 80s yeah it was yeah. about 86 87 no i was married by then so it was about 88 88, yeah, 88. so this is when danny meyer and union square hospitality is just it was the only restaurant in that stable the union square was the only one danny meyer was a young owner michael romano was yeah, a chef he was owner just getting started at this yeah. point yeah and 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 again i i consider him my mentor on a different level he was uh young he was eager he was very vocal about how he wanted things done he was very humane uh we worked a five-day work week we worked only a certain amount of hours because you can only do some so many things uh if you work way too many hours you won't be able to there was a family meal served twice a day you actually sat down and you had a glass of wine with the family meal if you wanted to he treated people like human beings he put his employees before he put anything else mm treating employees a certain way uh, produces a you know th they're, they're your front representatives in the dining room happy employees translate to happy customers eventually happy customers translate to business and then the investors are happy because the money's rolling in so it's like this this little cycle that he's developed and it's worked for him and that's the same mantra that I've been trying to develop throughout our uh, our empire as well. Yeah, which he coined as Enlightened Hospitality, which you can learn more about in his book, Setting the Table. He gets into detail about that. Love that book. Awesome book. Always recommended on the show. But really, I mean, this this moment, this this time is about you and your and how you've grown as a person. This is your time to shine. But reflecting on who do, he was a mentor of yours, right? So reflecting beyond his business philosophy, who was he? How did he conduct himself? What did you learn about how to be from this this man? He was only he was always friendly he always was curious about how your day is uh, he knew everybody by name he, he did everything that uh, an owner you would never expect you know this this guy walks into the kitchen he was always smiling uh, he always asked how you were mm. he always made sometimes cracked a joke sometimes made a comment that was pretty amazing and then you <laughs> said okay I now I know why I work here because okay. I really respect and I admire people that I work for. Mm, I love it. Beautiful. So you went on to work at some other great restaurants. I want to make sure we save time to talk about you and the restaurants that you opened and what, what that process was like. But is there anybody who stands out during this time between working in New York and apprenticing in France? Any, anybody who deems some you know, attention d during your story? Any other mentors? Uh, the other two people that I look up to, well, actually three at this point, uh, one of them, his name is... Roger de Gorn, who happens to be a master sommelier, I learned when I was in school. He was a, uh, a front of house teacher as well as a, a master of wine, and he uh, imparted quite a bit of knowledge. There was a course offered that my wife, Kimberly, took that made her into a certified sommelier, and I actually, rather than spending the money taking the course, I just poured. I, was, I worked it. So I got the same lesson, except I worked it. And uh, to, to, to kind of learn from him uh, about the wines and about how to deal and how to, how to be uh, really efficient uh, on, the, on the dining room floor was amazing. Uh, and then the other, the, the other 
two people that I learned, he actually worked for after this French culinary experience. He worked for a, for a, a restaurant called Chantrelle. And Karen and David Woltak, a couple, uh, again, it was this, this little couple thing just kept on coming up. Uh, he was a chef. She was. She ran the front. She made the flowers, and then Roger actually ran their whole uh, front of house program. And so to be able to learn from them how a husband and wife interact yeah. at a very high end, very high uh, profile restaurant. It was one of the top four star okay. New York Times restaurants. We got to go deeper here. Yeah. How how do you interact? How should we interact if we're going into business with our signi- our significant other? Well, part part of when people say, "How do you work with your wife?" and I. And my answer is like, how, what, what, you know, the, there's no other way. Why, you, you couldn't really work with anybody else. I mean, nobody else would really, really understand the crazy business we're in long term. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they may say they do, but eventually it's like if, if the schedules vary, if the schedules are different, you, you can't just come home and say, how was your day, honey? How was your night, honey? It's just <laughs> like, there's too much to say, you yeah. know? And sometimes working with your spouse is actually a good thing. Uh, we have a pretty good division of labor where she manned, Kimberly manned, uh, or still is, uh, all the front of the house duties, and I take care of the kitchen. And so it's, it's really comforting to know for me that no matter what happens, she has my back. Yes. And that's the biggest piece that sometimes is missing from the food alone is not enough. It's the experience that people crave. They'll come because they heard your food is tasty, but they'll come back because they had a great experience. Yeah. And, you know, it comes up often on the show. A lot of people, uh, it will be funny. They say, you know, never get into partnerships or you know, maybe not so much on the show because a lot of people that I've, I've interviewed have had partners and that's why they are able to do what they're able to do because they have their lane and other people have their lanes. They can do much more that way. But a lot of people will say you, you hear it often that like never have, find a partner, but they don't look at their business, their wife or their significant other, their husband as a partner. And they are right. When you go into business with your partner, your, your life partner, when you split up the work like that, I mean, you have a partner, a business partner, partner in life, partner in business. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. At least to me, it does. I, I've had, uh, like I said, we're about to celebrate 30 years in life together. That's beautiful. Congratulations. 23 years in business together. Wow. Awesome. Congratulations. And you also mentioned another mentor. We we're talking about uh, the the gentleman. What was his name again? The, the sommelier? Roger Dagorn. And you mentioned somebody else who really stood out to you. Uh, well, it was Karen and uh, David okay. Voltuck from the uh, restaurant called Chantrelle. Okay. Any other lessons uh, in your come up uh, working under these amazing mentors that we can touch on before kind of uh, progressing into your own, uh, breaking into your own business? Honestly... Uh, those are the those are the people I learned from the most. Um, I learned from them because they were good human beings first, mm-hmm. and that's always important to me: is being uh, compassionate, uh, part, um, it, giving your knowledge to people without reservations, uh, not having an ego. What do you mean by giving knowledge without any reservations, with any, without any expectations? Without any expectations, back? without any thank yous. Uh, giving is, a, is it just an act of giving sometimes. It's and Whether duty. it's giving in words yeah. or it's a duty, yeah. yeah. To pass on the knowledge, it's my Absolutely. duty. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why this podcast exists, to pass the knowledge on, to get this information in front of more people so we can raise the bar on our industry. And I'm, I'm totally uh, signing up and subscribing to what you're preaching right now. I love it. So uh, let's go to... Um, is it safe to fast forward to 1994 when you decide to make the move out to Oregon? Sure. Okay. Why make the move out to Oregon? What was going through your mind? A um, couple, of, couple of different reasons. One of them was the stint in France that we had. Uh, we spent the better part of, I'm saying, 90, 91. 
um, working for some uh, wonderful individuals as well. Uh, incredibly passionate, dedicated uh, pros. We worked in a small little town uh, called La Roche-la-Bay, a little restaurant called La Moulin de la Gorse. It was a 16th century watermill that was converted into a hotel restaurant. Um, a family-run operation, two-star Michelin, incredibly dedicated people. We learned from them how sacred the source of the food is, mm. how sacred the seasons, um, the best of the best uh, quality ingredients, uh, preparation without compromise, daily. You practice it daily. It's not enough to just say it. You have to practice it. And everyone subscribed to it as a team. Common goal. And so being part of that atmosphere for, for a number of months, almost a year, uh, some of the best, uh, I, I've, I was, there, was, there was a journal I put together, and in that journal it was every day I, I would say how thankful I am to mm. be able to be a part of this incredible experience. That's and, huge. And as, and as I, you know, even, even like, <laughs> my, this is the funny one. The very first, the chef wouldn't allow me to cook for, in the beginning, I would not be allowed to do anything other than help others. And, and the very first time he says, okay, let's, let's do something. So we, we, I did two things. I made some, I made a family meal. We ate, again, we ate twice a day. I made a family meal and I made some pasta puttanesca, which was like delicious and tasty, but you know, it was, it was kind of an interesting novelty for them. We're in the middle of France. It's meat and potato country. They ate, we ate rabbit and bread and salad and, and then one day they were dog friendly, and then one day a customer walks in with the dog, and and uh, and hey, make me something. The dog's hungry, so <laughs> <laughs> so I make a little. I don't know what I did. There was some sort of a beef stew or something. The chef actually tasted it before it went out. Wow. So so and and it wasn't because <laughs> it wasn't because a dog wouldn't like it, but it's because he wanted to know what I'm about. How would I treat something of importance? Or not. Yeah. Because who is eating it on the other end? It just speaks about your... Standards. Standards. Yeah. In general. So all of a sudden, I passed the test. <laughs> That's a great way to pass the test. I was able to cook for the dog. It was good enough for me <laughs> to good jump start, in. Man. It was it's a, a good, good start, start. man. Two things I want to pull out of uh, that story that you shared with us. Uh, with us. You mentioned... Uh, the common goals of this organization, this, this restaurant, this uh, was it a hotel in? It was a hotel and a restaurant. Yeah, very how, small. How did they get to the point where everybody had this, the common goals? How did they make sure everybody was on the same page, always pulling in the same direction? Uh, rigorous training. Uh, when you're in France and you dedicate yourself to this profession, it's just like anything. You take it very seriously. Was there an, an echoing mantra or like a mission that people would say, or like how did everybody know what the the mission was? They they train you from young age. You start as a kid. Uh, next to me was a 14-year-old, 15-year-old, 16-year-old, wow. you know, and then there was a 25-year-old, and so it was a very young crew, except for the te except for the for the chefs and, and the family that ran it. Um, but as you're trained, this becomes your life's mission. You know how to cook poulet grand mère and and blanquet de veau by the time you're 16. You know, and so these are like French, authentic French classic dishes that you have to learn. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because we hear a lot today of people say, oh, there's no good help out there. Like all we get is these young kids that don't want to learn anything. And it's I think it's more of an issue with our culture of 
not really being willing to take on young people and teach them. Uh, we, we kind of live in a transactional society where we don't really give young people serious thought. Why, why wouldn't we bring on a 14-year-old? Why wouldn't we mentor them and train them? You don't see that happening in the States like you do in other countries. Yeah, and I don't know if it's part of our uh, upbringing, part of our culture, uh, attention span. Um, though I'm talking about the 80s here, yeah, the 90s. But why would things change? It's different. We didn't have it is. social media. We didn't have Instagram. We didn't have internet. It was very different back then. Yeah, you know, I just think that we've kind of reached a point where we're kind of pointing the finger and we're trying to figure out what's wrong and we need to kind of swallow some of the responsibility as, as to why we are a certain way and start changing our ways and taking on young people and, you know, teaching young people. I, I, I don't, I can't disagree with that. I, yeah. think, I think mentoring, I think showing somebody the way rather than treating them as an employee definitely will make a difference yeah. but it's 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 a little bit more than that yeah for sure and you you drove home the importance of standards obviously and having those standards and the chef recognizing the importance of standards mm -hmm. but you also mentioned something that's really important that i don't think is work is good to, to breeze over so quick that the importance of journaling right and keeping a journal of your thoughts how has that impacted you why is that so important i still have that piece of i still have that book i refer to it daily uh not daily weekly how has that helped you how's that served you uh, there's some there's some things there's some recipes there's some ideas that you know come and go and and whether they're they whether they come up as exact uh, ideas that we've done or just inspirations of other things uh, it, it it really shaped my life back then mm -hmm. and and as we're you know the seasons change but that tomato comes back every year but that strawberry comes back every year you know the, the potatoes are young once a year as well and so as you're able to that garlic is fresh only once a year and so as you're able to refer to those seasonal ideas and how to manipulate them in your own way based on where you are geographically and emotionally yeah. you know those are the those are the things that drive our uh, daily chores of coming up with menus so what disciplines have you created in your life to make sure that you you keep you do you continue to journal to this day, or do you just reference the journal? I reference the journal. Uh, I, I've after I've written a book, I've actually started writing some things. So there, there, there are a few pieces, most of them unfinished. Yeah, <laughs> Wait, waiting, waiting somewhere somehow when I when I uh, have a little bit more time to go back and, and look through them and finish them up. But but they all have you know a common thread in them is yeah. is is to describing certain pieces of my life how how influences in my life travels that I've had. Um, interactions with people those are all fun things to sometimes remember I think as we grow older we spend our days going through our routine and sometimes close our eyes and forget um, yeah so, so I think it's important to absolutely document so you can concentrate on that moment and, and, and realize what you've done. Yeah, let's bring it back to 1994. You find yourself in Portland, Oregon. You have all these values, all these business philosophies, your business partner, your lane, you're in the back of the house, your, wife, your wife's in the front of the house. What did this process of starting your own business look like? Where did you guys start and what was your vision? Um, well, first, <clears throat> I should probably say that as we're planning to move to Oregon, it was a very kind of uh, spur of the moment deal. Uh, we knew we didn't want to be in New York City anymore. We've spent a little bit of time traveling back and forth around the country, spent a couple of times here in Oregon. And one day we said, let's just go. Let's just do it. Uh, so we put our apartment for sale. It sold in like four days. And what was that conversation like? What was holding you back from going before? 
Well, you know, when you're young, uh, you know, I was in my like late 20s and, and it was you're un- you're un- you're scared but yeah. you're also unstoppable. Your your whole life's in front of you, you know. Was that and, pun intended? Was that in- was that intentional unstoppable? Yes. Restaurant unstoppable. Yes, unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> you can do anything at yeah, that age. You, exactly. You, you think yeah. you can take on the world. So you so that that was the idea. I was like, like hey, what do we got to lose? Let's yeah. just try this. Uh, New York City, been there, done that. Uh, fantastic place. We learned. We got our spine here. Let's do it somewhere else. Let's be and 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 the biggest and and the most important factor in moving to Oregon was being close to the source of the ingredients, being close to the growing wine industry, being close to uh, all the things that we all talk about: the mountains, the ocean, the wine, the the valley. Yeah, it rains nine months out of the year, but when it stops raining, look what comes out of the ground. Uh, one of the things that happened to us while we were in France, by the way, is one day this basket of mushrooms shows up. I tell the story all the time. One day a basket of mushrooms showed up. There were these beautiful morels, and I said, Chef, where are these from? Knowing that the answer most certainly would be, oh, some woods right here in the area. He goes, no, they're from Oregon. Mm. And here we are in the middle of nowhere, meat and potato country we're in France we're three, four thousand miles away all of a sudden these mushrooms are good enough for the French people yeah <laughs> let's go see where this place Oregon is go when we come source. back I love it yeah. yeah absolutely so one other variable that's kind of sticking out I'm wondering if this is something that you were aware of one lesson I've learned talking to so many successful restaurateurs I mean you're, the likelihood of you being the best in New York not that great it's a very competitive market. But if you take all those lessons you learned from the best in New York and you take those lessons and those business philosophies and you go to a market like Portland, Oregon in the 80s or the early 90s, right? Like you have a much better shot at being the best in that market than you do back back then, absolutely. Small too. fish in a big pond or yeah. a big fish in a small pond. Is that going on back in the Maybe, yeah. maybe, part of it. Yeah, definitely that ambition was there. But the biggest ambition was is we want a place where we can spread our wings a little bit. We want a place where we can be close to the source of the ingredients. We want to be part of the community. We wanted to start something small, something that it also didn't cost a bundle because we didn't have much. Yeah. So, so what was the process of opening your first restaurant like? What were the the, I guess the successes, the failures, the the lessons learned along the way? We came out here in uh, September of '94. Paley's Place was open in February of 95. Okay. So we were on a mission. Yeah, that's um, fast. And we came out here, made my, my very, our very first things that we did were to really become part of the community, to, to, to meet people that have done uh, wonders so far. How did you become part of the community? That's a good piece of advice right there. It's, uh, it's important to come and learn from the people that are here already. It's important to integrate yourself in the community, not be... Uh, cocky, yeah. Not say to yourself, "Hey, I'm from New York City. I know it all." No, that's not true. Um, this is your Humility. first. Yeah, this is your, you, 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 you may bring something that may improve in time, but you also have to be humble and learn from the people that are here already. And so, to integrate yourself into the community, to 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 be part of it, to welcome it, to to embrace it, they'll embrace you in return. And that's kind of what happened to us: is that the community was good to us. I met wonderful people who I'm friends with till today, um, who have helped us. Uh, there was a restaurant called Wildwood back then. Uh, Corey Schreiber was the chef, James Beard, award-winning chef, book author at the same time. One of the homeboys has been here for many, many years. His family, his restaurant family here for over 80 years. 
Was this uh, at the time you came out here in Edinburgh? He had already yeah. achieved these accolades. Yeah. 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 No, he. No, he. Uh, so he was open for about nine months before we came out here. Okay. And uh, it was his first foray. He spent time in Boston. He spent time in San Francisco. Learned from the best. Came back home. Opened up his own Got restaurant. You. That basically helped define modern dining in Portland. And so for me to kind of like jump in on his footsteps to 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 really like bring what I know, my experience, and then continue to 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 uh you know spread the same mantra yeah uh, local seasonal sustainable all that was like these are buzzwords didn't exist back then but now they yeah do. so you came out here did you identify him as somebody who you wanted to tie yourself to i did and how yeah. did you make how did you approach him what did that process we look went like? there once for dinner i met Corey schreiber uh he was incredibly nice to me he actually as we were as we were my wife kimberly started working for him as a hostess uh, at wildwood and I became uh, one of the line cooks here at Pazzo back then. And uh, and uh, I, I said, Corey, we're here to open a restaurant. I'd love to like learn more about who you work with, what the what the farms are, who are the farmers. Uh, tell tell me. And he says, you know what? I'll do better than that. My guy Sam, my kitchen kitchen manager Sam, he goes out twice, three times a week to go pick up produce and and fish and all that from our farmers why don't you get on the truck with him and do it yes so at 5 a.m i meet him at wildwood and we go and we take this drive together and we come back and then unload all these ingredients and all the cooks are jumping out of the kitchen to help unload i was like this is it (laughs) this is this is the promised land this is where i want to be uh this this signified to me like hey they they know what it takes here this were is you good. afraid that he was going to be like who dude you, the, you you're coming to me you're my competitor you're looking for me to give you access to all my secrets was that going on in the back of your head not really good. because he didn't see it that way either i think i think we're better together than we are apart and we, that's that's so important oh, i think yeah. uh, one one of the reasons why i started this podcast because we are better together than we are apart and if we kind of have this mentality of sharing knowledge yeah. and helping each other out we can do a lot more together than apart and against each other. The, the, the very people that will supply your ingredients will become that much stronger and will sustain that much longer mm. uh, if, if if there's more of us buying from them. If Absolutely. If you know, we speak volumes and knowledge. They want to know from us what do we want. Yeah. And, and it can't just be one guy because I can only buy so much. So what was the biggest ch- challenge opening the doors? Um, we spent uh, looking... Uh, met a couple of people who are commercial real estate folks here who have showed us some spaces. But inevitably, it was a restaurant that was literally kitty corner from Wildwood um, that I looked inside one day as I was picking up Kimberly after work. And I said, that looks about right. I counted the number of seats. It was like 32 seats, 34 seats in that dining room. And I said, I bet you the kitchen is also kind of tiny. I'm sure it won't take much to get this up and running. And we kind of knocked on their door and they said, are you guys interested in selling your space? <laughs> and they said, yes. Were they open for business? Was it a oh, functioning yeah. it restaurant? Oh, yeah. It was a functioning restaurant and it's been a many different things. What made you think that they were just going to like sell you their I business? I don't know. You just <laughs> ask, right? Yeah. You, don't, you don't ask, you don't get. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So we just asked if they were interested in selling and uh, sure enough, they did. Um, then literally it took us... Uh, well, so by the time we bought the business, by the time we negotiated the deal, by the time we bought the business, there was literally no money left. Okay. So on our hands and knees, elbow grease, you know, type of deal. Uh, didn't even have enough money to paint the restaurant again. So was this restaurant looking to get out of the business? Had they had enough? Were you an exit strategy for them? And Could be. Did you get a good deal because of that? 
I don't think we got a good deal. I think we actually overpaid. <laughs> oh, really? That's why we didn't have money left over to do anything else because they saw how eager we were to yeah. buy their place. Yeah. But we were too young and yeah. eager and, 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 and naive. Um, but if I look back at it, it was obviously the right move that yeah. we made. Um, you got to follow your gut. When you know yeah. it's right, and you got to follow your and gut. And that was the deal. Like mm-hmm. I said, we looked inside. It was bright. It had charm. It had a soul. It was an old Victorian building. It sat on a corner of a beautiful neighborhood. Um, proximity to, you know, everything was there. We were next to one of the successful restaurants called Wildwood on the other side. On Gleason was another one called uh, uh, Zephyro. So that, that, that whole strip, that whole street was known for its restaurant. Yeah. And we were going to become part of it. So to yeah. me, that was exciting. That is exciting. Yeah. So... You're on your hands and knees. You're doing all the work yourself. You're, you're staying lean. Uh, what were the biggest challenges in these early days before opening? Well, obviously, challenges came one after the other. Um, you couldn't afford help, but you needed help. Mm-hmm. So you ended up doing a lot yourself. Um, I worked nonstop. We were open for, at that point, five days a week, dinner only, and then one day uh, brunch uh, on Sunday. And then so the day off was not really a day off. The day off was Monday where we placed orders and sourced did ingredients laundry. and did laundry. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we washed our own towels. Paid your bills. <laughs> yeah, we washed our own towels. Yeah. Building business was challenging, but we got lucky. Uh, as the first day, as I was saying, we had, you know, first day we invited people and that was 30 people in the dining room. The next day it was only two and that was Kimberly's parents. Wow. Well, how did that feel? Were you like, was there like a rock in your stomach? Like, oh god, uh, yeah. I mean, it's 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 hard. It's a hard pill to swallow. It's like, okay, we've got this now. We're <laughs> open. What's next? Yeah. <laughs> you so, know? so how did you get over that hill? What things was just well because because of the fact that we ha- we had you know almost no debt. Kimberly's parents helped uh, uh, set us up a little bit, not much, but enough to like give us a little bit of a cushion. Um, so I kind of was her and I. All- I- I want to go a little bit deeper right here. No debt. You had a little bit of a cushion. What What were your like? Exp- how lean were you? What were your What was the money going out looking like in your life? Like, could you be like? Uh, we rented a place uh, somewhere in the west uh, southwest here. Uh, it was a decent, nice looking house, big enough. Actually, more bigger than we needed it. Um, Any kids? No kids. So no kids. No kids. No pets. No pets. Uh, Really started small, small, small. Yeah. Had and had almost no no, no other liabilities, no bills. Uh, whatever we spent on the business, we had it on a note. It was affordable enough for us to continue paying it off. Yeah. Uh, within the first three months, we're actually uh, the local newspapers. Of course, they were like, "Hey, who are these people from New York City that open up a restaurant?" So the media attention followed almost immediately. Yep. Uh, we started getting really good write-ups. The first year in July, we, I remember New York Times came to town oh, wow. and Brian Miller, at back at the time, used to be, used to write for New York Times, wrote an article about five or six restaurants in Portland and we were one of them. So as New York Times, like, hey, I was joking. I had to come to, New, I had to come to Portland to be recognized by New York Times. <laughs> Figure that. That's hilarious. So, so as, as we slowly grew and it was organically grew, all of a sudden we started seeing, hey, our bank account is actually like 
higher than when we open. I guess we're making money. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the really so it was, it was just Kimberly alone with another uh, young lady in the dining room, and then it was just me with another young lady in the kitchen. With a dishwasher part time, yeah. So it was the four of us operating yeah. the whole thing. One thing I love, um, and one thing I, I'm, I kind of subscribe to this idea of starting as small as possible because you can have the biggest impact and you keep your liabilities as low as possible. Some people say go as big as possible because running a small restaurant, you still got to do the same amount of things as if you're running a 150 seat restaurant, right? But can you have the same impact on the people? Well, when you're imp- when you're an unproven asset, when you don't have uh, to, 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 to invest uh, a lot of money into something that's an unproven is uh, 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 kind of a suicide as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It, it's, not, it's not a sustainable thing. You've got to scale into it. You've got to scale into it, absolutely. Yeah. So, so starting small, if someone is looking to open a restaurant, is essential. And think about four, so four, four employees, including you and your wife. That Correct. means 50% of the people working at your restaurant were owners. Think about the impact you have on those two other people as far as setting the standards, quality, uh, system. Like You can literally imprint yourself so much better on these yep. two people. Yep. And then you bring them up to your level. You hire two more people on, and guess yep. what? Now that's that's four people trying yep. to imp- imprint two people, yep. right? And now you can bring them up to your level. But yep. if you're two people trying to imprint 30 people, how much of an impact are you going to have? I mean, you that's, can still do and that's, it. And that's exactly true. Mm-hmm. You know, today, as we're opening up restaurants, for example, Headwater started with over 100 employees. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so th- there is that scalability factor that you've got a good reputation. People know who yeah. you are. People know the standards you stand for. They believe that they can learn from you or from others that you've taught exactly. who are here on board. Mm-hmm. And they come to you because of that, because of that ability to money is not everything. Yeah, you know, you, you, uh, uh, a life well lived uh, passes on to others, yeah. and and you're 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 able to be so much more in the process. So the big lessons I'm pulling from opening the restaurant, uh, you know, get involved with your community, get out there, find the best like attach yourself onto them, learn everything you can, get your roots deep into the community, stay lean, and start small and scale into it. Um, the big lessons I'm pulling from your story. Exactly, so you've just you've just said it right there. <laughs> Beautiful. So the next ten years, right? It took ten years to get your. I mean, we're not we don't base our careers off of James Beard Awards, uh, but what happened over the next? Um, I mean, how long did it take you to go from one location to two? Was it 2012? You opened your your second restaurant. Yes. So uh, from 95, so 12 years. What are that? 12 18, 18. 18. Sorry, I'm horrible at math. 18 years. Uh, <laughs> I know that because I've counted those years. <laughs> yeah. So like, what, were, what was going on in these 18 years? How did you grow as a professional, as a restaurant owner? What lessons did you learn? What failures did you have at this time? Well, the first um, few years, there was no question. I did not want to have a second restaurant. Why? I just loved what I did mm. and for me that was it I was leaving my dream why did I want to why would I want to rock the boat yeah you know I, I spent my I spent all my days working in the kitchen I spent all my days dreaming of food I spent all my days running with the farmers and getting inspired by what's coming up in their gardens and that's how we plan our day plan our menu plan our seasons so what uh, happened in your mid 40s where you're like all right time for a second one what changed once we uh once we got recognized by our peers and the james beard award came in uh we saw frankly an unprecedented level of business and 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 people uh wanting to come to us in droves wanting to eat our food wanting to understand who we are and and sample who we are we got validated by a group of peers and all of a sudden that was a game changer 
uh, the book contract came in in the process and it's like, hey, is my opportunity to document what I've done, you know? And then at some point in life, you, you know, if you're an ambitious person, if you're a person that want to continue to grow, you say to yourself, what else is there? Yeah. This is for the same reason yeah. I stopped music and became a restaurateur. It's like, yeah. what else is there? Is there music as the all there is? And so when you, when, you, when you spend a little bit of time in this business, you say, okay, is Paley's place and all be all, or do I have something else? Or is it my time to just buy myself a rocking chair and call it good? Yeah. You know, so so I guess at that point, the crossroads uh, were apparent. And, uh, and, and for me, for us, for both Kimberly and I, it was a decision-making process. If the right offer comes along, we'll entertain it. Yeah. So did the right offer come along? It did. How, what did that offer look like? Uh, 2012, we opened Imperial. Yeah. It inside, it's inside of a Hotel Lucia. Yeah. Uh, the folks that own the hotel were visionaries, and I st- still are. They believe that uh, partnering up with a local chef that understands not just the local topography, but local community, yes, um, is good, not just for them, but good for the community. Yes, and Why? Uh, I think becoming a viable business for the community is more important than having a uh, an amenity for your guests in a hotel. Yeah, and if and if and if someone as a hotel ownership understands that then everybody benefits in the process. Mm. And so as we walked into it knowing that we need to open a restaurant in a community and it happens to be in a hotel that'll provide the, the, the most viable, um, it'll energize the whole property. Yes. So it's a solid business decision Yep. at the same time as it is good for your soul. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, and then as we were planning this business, uh, Imperial was the hotel that was built in 1905. That is the building. Uh, changed over by the ownership uh, to a different name, different concept, but it only makes sense for us to bring back what was part of the community once. Yeah. So at this time, when they approached you with this opportunity, what did your life in uh, Paley's Place look like? Were you here every day? Were you taking days off? Were you, did you have a team that was kind of running the show so you could go and like have some kind of work-life balance? Like, Where were you in your life at this point? The team was pretty solid at Paley's. Uh, we were able to step away to do this planning. Okay. Um, it, 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 it's not to say that it didn't take us for a loop, for a spin, once we did open Imperial. Uh, we definitely saw uh, yeah, symptoms with withdrawal when both Kimberly and I were so deeply entrenched and deeply involved on a daily basis that to be able to pull yourself away and have somebody else do it with the same level of expertise was hard. How'd you get over that? And I think that's something that happens. Uh, well, there's an issue with just like, like you say, like withdrawal, like you're, you're away from it. Like, is it still going? Are people caring as much as I would? What's happening? Uh, did you have the systems, processes, procedures locked in where you, where the, the business wasn't dependent on you, but dependent on those, op, those, those, those processes? Like, how did you get to that point where you felt like, okay, like this doesn't need us anymore? We've developed a pretty good system, put it in place, exercised it ourselves for many years. People who were there worked for us for many years there. Uh, People who ran the place while we were not there were there for many years. So it was was not like it was a complete uh, learning experience of something brand new. They were part of it for many years. Now they just had to do it all. We just had to pull the training wheels off. Yeah. Because so that, that's what we were. Just the yeah. tra- At that point, it was just the training wheel. Exactly. Thing. So you recreated yourself and other people and then you pulled the training wheels off. You said, you got this. Right. And you kind of like, you know, pushing the kid in the back and you say, you know, on the, yep. on the bike, go. Yeah. 
uh, did they call on you a lot or yes. did you have to say, listen, yes. like you yes. got this, you oh, can yeah. make decisions. Well, but you know, there's certain things that come along. Oh, chef, dishwasher's broken. Who do we call? Well, hey, there's that number on the outside of the dishwasher. It's <laughs> yeah. always been there. You just never made the call, so now yeah. you can. Well, a lot of that too is also, you know, creating the the protocols. Like, if the, if this, then what? And did you guys go through? Did you take the time to create like a book where it's like, if this happens, like this is what you do? Or? No, not really. No, I mean, there's there's definite systems in place. Uh, some of them are unwritten. Some of them are definitely more written, but most of them are just learned. Okay. From through experiences, and That's one way to do it. We're a well-oiled machine at this yeah. point. You know, there's not many things that we have not come across. Mm-hmm. We've, God, we've gone through several downturns in the economy, and we're mm-hmm. still here. So, yeah. I, I trust me. Those, those are the, you know, the, the the silly small little things. Daily chores are easier to deal with than the recessions, but we're still here. So. Yeah. So uh, the next restaurant, and correct me if I'm wrong, was that uh, Penny Diner? Was that your third restaurant? Portland, uh, no. Uh, so so Imperial came first. The second, right? The second one. That was in 2012 in September. We're yep. about to celebrate six years there in business. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Portland Penny Diner came second in November of the same year. Okay. Which is now the crown. So, so we rebranded that that piece of the property. So what happened with the Penny Diner? What, what was going on where you felt like a rebranding was needed? Where did you go wrong there? Well, I, I don't know if we went wrong with it. I just think that was a little too much too fast. What do you mean and too much too fast? I, just opening up a second place uh, within three months of opening up the first one, even if it is part of the same property with a... Th- very different concept uh, was just difficult to execute. It was difficult for all of us. Which, what, what part of it? Get specific. What was what made it difficult? Where'd you go wrong? Or not necessarily wrong, but what made it so difficult? Um, we complicated it too much. How'd you complicate uh, it? There was a breakfast, there was lunch, the menus were different, the sandwiches were complicated to execute. You know, it's like high-end chef like me trying to put sandwiches together. There's a million ingredients. It's yeah. just, it just gets to you. You try to bake your own bread, you try mm-hmm. to make your own aioli. It's like, you can't do that. You yeah, get, and this isn't a criticism, yeah. you know, it's just like, what no. was the lessons learned yeah, in your and, life? Yeah, and, and that's, it's like, it's like, you have to, you have to like, uh, minimize, uh, simplify, uh, and, and, and you learn that in that process. Keep and, it simple, simple. And then, of course, what do people want? What's the identity? What's the focus? And it became a little bit unfocused. Uh, it, it, it developed. Hey, we serve good food. We can't like not serve good food. It's not part of yeah. our DNA. So it doesn't matter what we do. We'll always serve something really tasty and delicious and seasonal and, and, and something that's providence and reverence and all that stuff, right? But, but sometimes when the focus is lacking... There's this little like place where people just begin to wonder. So knowing what you know now, and if you got another, if you could go back in time and take another swing at Penny Diner, what would you have done differently to have better focus? Probably not serve breakfast there. Uh, concentrate on lunch and dinner. Do one make or a, a couple things really well. Yeah, exactly. Scale back. Do something really, really easy. Concentrate on one. Focus on one item. Uh, focus on one preparation or or five for that matter, uh, and then make it look like it's actually a diner, or make it look like it's it's more of a bar or a late night hangout, or just a just a place where people. Because in the beginning, it looked more like a coffee shop, okay. and that's when we when we were trying to go dinner, we couldn't because people just wouldn't associate it as a dinner spot. Again, okay. the food was tasty and delicious, but when we opened as a crown, we turned it into a a, a sexy place that looked like someone wants to hang out there at night it's it's a bar and we serve delicious pizza 
and it's just we quadrupled the business there overnight. So you focused on doing a few things really well, uh, being uh, the nightlife in pizza, yep. which is super scalable or easy yep. to train. Like yep. it's not complicated. Uh, you can, you know. To be sure, good pizza is not easy. It's true. The uh, simpler the simpler things are, the more the harder they are to execute. I believe. I agree with that. But doing one thing Correct. really well is much easier than trying to do a bunch of things. Absolutely. Really well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So those are the lessons there. And I mean, at this point, we covered. We're almost at like current time right now. Uh, where are you today? Anything we, you were hoping we would discuss, or anything that you have in you that you just feel like you, you need to get out to make us all better? What would that that piece of knowledge be? Oh gosh, I am kind of in the middle of um, trying to figure out how the next holiday season will roll here at Headwaters. <laughs> so my head's uh, in the game in a, in a very focused fashion at the moment. Okay. Uh, we're doing lots of uh, fun uh, events. Uh, some of them are fundraising events um, that are, again, identifying as, as a, as a uh, sustaining member of the community. Uh, again, the community helps us in the process as we're trying to be philanthropic as yeah. well. We didn't even talk about Headwater, which was open in 17? Last year? Uh, yeah, we we opened in sixteen, so we're we're, we're going to be October. We're going to be two years okay. in business here, and uh, Headwaters was open as a, which is where we are right now. Seafood, beautiful location. Yeah, it is. It is seafood restaurant. A uh, little story about the Heathman, which uh, to me is a very special place. Also, uh, when I first came to Portland before we opened Paley's place, my mom came to visit. Uh, Kimberly and I and my mom came here for our um, holiday dinner. This was probably December of 94 and I saw Philippe below the chef at the time standing at the front desk looking pristine in his whites and I looked at him and I said one day I'll be wearing chef whites in Portland Nice. and little that I knew I'd be wearing them here wow. at this property years later so it's it's a very special place as we were as we came here this place was in disrepair so it went through a, a tremendous remodel uh, the floor that we're sitting now at was 30 inches below us. This is a sunken bar. In order for us to upgrade and make this all seamless, we needed to either lift the floor or put in a ramp or do something. Uh, so as, as I'm looking at the space and we've upgraded the kitchen, I made designed the kitchen the way I wanted it to and we wanted to do seafood here. This is, a again, still a bit of a work in progress, uh, but we're seeing a wonderful uh, results and seeing a wonderful comeback of a, of a property that needs to... Uh, remain true to its roots if Portland's uh, fine grand dame of a hotel slash restaurant to looking forward to um, fostering new generations of diners as Portland grows and matures and the millennials and the and the Z generations and you name it they're all yeah. they're all they're all coming out of our you know coming coming in so we need to we need to we need to what they want what yeah. they need so one thing I, I want to start doing more uh, being on the road going into these communities um, you've been in the industry now since the 80s right uh, where do you see the industry how is the industry different today for better or worse what are your concerns like looking at the market the Portland market and what's happening anything being a mentor being somebody who's who's got all this experience, what advice do you have for us? Or I don't know what I'm trying to say right now, but you know what I'm <laughs> you picking up what I'm putting down? Like I, I have, I have, uh, you know, a, a number of, a number of things that I am uh, concerned about. Uh, the challenges are with the, um, uh, the pool of the uh, qualified employees or qualified people 
that we can tap into. And uh, you're right. Uh, we, we can bring them in and, and maybe hold on to them longer by mentoring them rather than just treating them mm -hmm. as employees. And so that's part of what I'm trying to, to, to teach to my guys who are the chefs of these restaurants to uh, not just be nice, but also spend the time you need to, to train them correctly. Yes. Um, we're at a height of our, our economy. The economy is great. Uh, the unemployment rate is all-time low. Uh, it's wonderful by the numbers, but it makes it more challenging for us. Mm -hmm. um, the, the minimum wage is going up. Um, the costs of business are rising like crazy. Uh, we're all really kind of trying to understand what is the new wave? How are businesses going to evolve? Because they need to. They have to. Um, how are we going to cater to the new generation of people? Those are interesting and fun and, and important challenges that we're all facing as an industry. And I think all of us together will need to learn how to resolve them. We can't all be fast casual. You can't just like come up yep. to the counter, play, take a number and go sit down. Uh, there's got to be room for people like us so who know fine dining. How are you planning to evolve? What is what is your plan to tackle this changing economy, this changing world we're in? I don't have a plan yet at the moment. We're definitely all part of it, uh, part of the solution for sure. Um, but I think we're all going to need to put our heads together and understand. Yeah. For now, we're being as frugal as we possibly can. We have to be sustainable for ourselves in order for us to be sustainable for the community. Yeah. So that's the that's the deal is learning how to do more with less. And that's Absolutely. that's the challenge. So we're at about an hour of recording time. This has been a great conversation. I don't want to cut you short. Anything else you want to get out before we go to the speed round and, and drop some bombs of knowledge? Oh my. I, th I think we're good, man. <laughs> All right. I love this conversation. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right Finally, a simple, back. affordable, and legal way to share the music that best represents your brand. It's called Soundtrack Your Brand. Get access to soundtracks tailored for any business. Side note, studies have shown that playing the right music can impact your sales. Do you have questions about what that right music is? Soundtrack Your Brand can help you there, too. Here's a fun fact. I'm sure a lot of you out there listening to this already have a Spotify account, well, you can take playlists from your account and import them directly into SoundtrackYourBrand.com. And my guests are always saying on the show that their restaurants are an extension of their own personal brand. Well, so isn't your music. And now you can marry these things together legally. Unlike Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Music, Soundtrack Your Brand is licensed for business use. Skip the hassle of ASCAP and BMI because with Soundtrack Your Brand, it's already included. You can even schedule music for the whole week and adapt the music for each day part. Typically, this deal goes for $26.99 per month, but if you act now before the end of August, you can get this deal for $19.99 per location per month for life. Again, that's SoundtrackYourBrand.com or find the banner in the show notes. Your job as a restaurant owner or manager is to paint a picture of the job done right and to empower your employees with the tools and knowledge they need to excel. This is why you need to check out Wisetail, a premier learning management system trusted by our industry's most recognized names. With Wisetail, quickly scale your training initiatives across all locations, empower your employees to take control of their own learning and professional growth, foster communication and engagement through their integration 
integrated training and communication tools and ensure long-term scalable success with the help of their best-in-breed client experience team. They'll take you from goal-setting and implementation to ongoing strategy and best practices training to make sure you maximize your ongoing investment in your training and your programs. And if you use my links, you'll get your first three months free after signing up for a year contract. Again, that's wisetail.com slash unstoppable or find the banner in the show notes. And we're back. The first question I have for you, Chef Paley, is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I don't think it's any one thing. Give me two or three things. Being at the right time, at the right place. Actually, being at the right place, waiting for the right time to come along. Interesting. Um, that's why I knew Oregon was it. Yeah. So you caught the wave. Caught the wave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is a good point. And have you ever read Malcolm Gladwell's, um, mm-hmm. what's it called, uh, Outsiders? And that's something that he contributes to just being in the right place at the right time. The super success- successful people. I think he profiles um, the founder of Microsoft. I can't think of his name. Bill Gates uh, was in Seattle had access to a supercomputer at the age of like 13 years old when nobody else had access to computers. So he already had 10 years of experience mastering his craft. He was 10 years ahead of the rest of the world in Seattle um, where all this stuff was happening. So it's just like, you know, that does play a huge role, being in the right place at the right time. I, I just, I think it's, you know, knowing somewhere subconsciously that people didn't know they needed something yeah. and you gave it to them. Now they can't do without it. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. So what is your biggest weakness? I, 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 I think my biggest weakness and probably my biggest strength is that I never, um, I, am, I, am, I am never sure. I always question. I always... Um, no, I, I get what you're saying, you know, and it's good to never be sure because you don't get complacent that way. You're always challenging the current status. My, 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 my lack of ego. Okay. Your lack of ego is a weakness? Uh, it could be considered a strength. <laughs> but sometimes to be uh, uh, to be stern in your decisions, yeah, to see things black and white as opposed to many gray areas. I get that. Humility, right? Could, yeah. Humility, humility is a good thing. Yeah. It's so, good to be humble. But at the same time, um, know when you got something, know, know that you, you know, have that confidence, not necessarily confidence, but the... The gusto. Yeah, don't right? get me wrong. I've I've made lots of confident decisions, and my threshold for risk is pretty up there. Okay, cool. Next question: What's your one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team? Do you like people? Mm. What are you looking for? How well they would work with a team. Beautiful. Lack, uh, lack of ego. Okay, is important <laughs> for me. I dig it. What's one? current challenge today how are you combating it um current challenge today is finding people uh uh that are that have um come up in this as as we call it the instagram generation is that they seen a picture or two of well-plated dish and that's what they look up to that's what they want to replicate um what should we look up to Oh, I think you gotta spend the time. You you gotta work for people. You you gotta you gotta spend the time in the kitchen. You gotta put in the time. You know, when I was growing up as a young cook, uh, 
the numbers were mentioned to me that were sometimes unthinkable. I said, well, you got to spend at least five years to do this. You got to spend another five years to do that. And you're only maybe at a sous chef level at that time. So you're, you're, you're talking 10 years after you've learned in school. Uh, and so wanting things too fast, not having enough attention span. And I think because of the current generation of grown up in a 140 character at a time. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's the challenge today is how to slow everybody down, get them to understand how to be in the moment. Get the foundations. Get the, the foundation yeah. rolling. Give them the knowledge so that they can execute and learn. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team, a core value, a way to be. Always be positive. Always stay positive. Always look for the answer is always how can this happen as opposed to I can't. Mm, how yes. can I as opposed to I can't. So important. How can I is the mantra. You know, in, as soon as you say I can't, your brain shuts off. As yeah. soon as you ask yourself how can I, your frontal lobe kicks when, into hyperdrive. When you say no, there's always a follow-up question, why not? <laughs> yeah. When you say yes, you just go and do yes. it. Yes, I love it. Beautiful. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team that's standard within your restaurants but not standard within the industry? Services in... Well, like face-to-face -face with guests. Things you do to, to, to serve the guests at other restaurants, though. Never be familiar, but always express your friendly. Never be familiar, but always express your personality the best way you can. Uh, know as much as you can, being able to answer questions on the spot as opposed to, let me ask the chef. Yeah. To know the answer is so much more impactful than going back to ask that question from someone that actually knows. So yeah. really learning, really being in the moment, really knowing the product that you're selling. Yeah. And uh, managers and owners out there listening to this, that's on you to educate. You yes. can't expect people to just to, to take that initiative. I mean, they can, and we should, but you also have to set that standard and constantly be influencing and educating and giving your people the, the resources, the tools they need to know these things. So what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? Well, there's there's a couple. The, the the one that Danny Meyer is the setting setting the table, yep. uh, which is a must in my opinion. And there's another one, really fun one, called Devil in the Kitchen. Devil in the in Kitchen. The Devil in the Kitchen by Marco Pierre White. Okay. I don't know if you've ever read that book. I've, it's been recommended. I have a 46 hour ride back to New Hampshire next week, so I might have to tap into it if it's, it's on audio. It's amazing. It's, uh, it's, biggest it's, lesson it's, from that book. Well, I guess what not to do in the kitchen anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, share an online resource or tool that you leverage. Google. Mr. Google knows it all. <laughs> <laughs> and what is one technology you've adopted within your four walls, whether it's a POS, reservation system, something of that nature that's improved communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those Google lines? Google Docs. Google Docs. How are you using Google Docs? Everything's online. Everything's Google Docs. Uh, all the menus are online. Uh, I'm able to be from anywhere communicating with my team. Hey, let's look on this date that syncs in with your calendar. What populates in this calendar? Tap on the link. Let's talk about this menu. And it's real-time conversation, real-time change. Yep. You can real-time type it in and it's done. The Google Suite. And I am an affiliate of Google Suite. So if you guys are not leveraging Google and you want to be real time and leverage all these tools, Google Sheets, Google Calendar, Google anything, um, 
please use my links to support the podcast. There you go. Uh, if you got the news, this is the last question, by the way. It's a doozy, so get ready for it. Uh, if you got the question. Can't wait. <laughs> you'd be leaving this world. To, or Sorry. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your restaurants, and your work would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you know to be true about your success in this world we live in that you can leave behind for your legacy, for the good of this industry. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Wow. <laughs> so many things are going through your mind. <laughs> yeah, I know. Pick the first one that comes to your mind, the one that's, that's singing to you the most right now. Do what makes you happy. Do what makes you happy, number one. Do what makes you happy. Number two. Okay. What's number three? Uh, follow your bliss. Follow your bliss. Beautiful. Chef Paley, I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's one person you admire in this industry and you believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today? My wife, Kimberly. Oh, can she talk with me in the next two days? I don't know. Can find Let's out. try to make it happen. I would love to make that happen. I would love to get the other perspective. And how can we connect and follow you if we enjoyed this conversation? Uh, maybe we want to come work for you. Maybe we want to follow what you're doing online. What's the best way to follow you? Uh, my Instagram, VitoBike, V-I-T-0-B-I-K-E. Um, my Facebook page, Vitaly Paley. Check out all our restaurants online, uh, Imperial PDX, The Crown, uh, Portland and uh, Headwaters as well as Paley's Place. Um, we're always open. Uh, anyone that wants to reach out, needs a job, needs a mentorship, needs a place to land for a while, needs to learn about the city, I offer with open arms. There are people here that arrive that constantly look for and I've, and I've always returned that favor that people have done for me. When I first came to Portland, there have been many open hands and open arms. That's what and, it's all about. And they, they said, hey, what would you like? What do you need to know? And I do the same thing today. When people come to Portland, whether they work for me or not, I offer that service. I offer that, that welcome arm. Um, and, and there's been a few people that have come here that have opened their own restaurants, uh, uh, that have spent some time in our kitchen until they really got their bearings. And that's the important part is really to place a la to, to, to land somewhere where people are familiar, where they know who you are, where they're nice to you. They'll offer you any type of uh, anything you want to know is here. There's no, there's no secrets. There you go. You heard it. He's got open arms. Uh, you can head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash Vitaly Paley. That's V-I-T-A-L. Y-P-A-L-E-Y and uh, I'll have a summary of today's discussion over there as well as the links, all the tools, services, and books that were recommended in today's conversation. Again, Chef Vitaly Paley, thank you so much. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> well, there you go. Another episode in the archive here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Chef Vitaly Paley Man, some great advice coming out of your mouth today. Some really incredible people you worked for and uh, some of the lessons you learned from these incredible people like like Danny Meyer uh, and just making uh, an example of the things that he taught you and you uh, instilling these lessons to this day. And I love the advice that you dropped on us uh, when it comes to opening your first restaurant, moving to 
a new market where you can have a better shot at being number one. Uh, take what you learn from competitive markets like New York City or Los Angeles or Chicago or Boston or whatever major food city. Uh, go to work for the best. Operate at the standards these people operate at and then go to a market where you can excel and just blow everyone else out of the water. And I love the advice that you gave us or the example that you you set for us when you, you went to Portland and you, you sought out the best in Portland and you attached yourself to these incredible people. You, you look for advice from these people. You became friends with these people. You, you became ingrained and entangled within the community of Portland and that's the best thing. That's the number one thing you can do if you're opening a restaurant in a new area. Go become a part of the community and uh, make an impact. Awesome stuff today. Loved this conversation. Guys, I'm back in the Northeast in Maine as I'm recording this right now and I want to hit up Boston and the North Shore and uh, areas throughout New England before making maybe a trip down to back to Austin, Texas because I feel like there was a lot of work, uh, unfinished business out that way. So uh, if you're in any of those areas and you think I need to talk to somebody uh, and make an example of somebody, please shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Tell me who I have to talk to. Uh, I would love to make an example of them. And yeah, keep those five-star reviews in iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming to help so much. I'm up to 146 reviews, and I just can't thank you enough if you've taken the time to share your thoughts on what I'm he doing here at Restaurant Unstoppable, and just thank you so much. And um, the mission of this podcast, guys, is to inspire, empower, and transform our industry. We transform an industry by sharing knowledge and transforming people and sharing moral standards and just idealism. So if you're finding a value in this podcast and you want other people to know about this podcast and you want to support the mission, please share it. All right, guys, that's it for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. I love you all. Until next time, peace out.